Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host once again, Bo Smolka. Joined by my co-host, former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox. And around here in Baltimore, it is Steeler Week. The Ravens with their first of two games against their arch rivals, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They go to Pittsburgh this week. And then Pittsburgh will be coming back here in a few weeks at the end of the season. So it is Steeler Week. It's always a different vibe around here. And in Baltimore this week, there's also a different vibe because... Lamar Jackson is injured, and it appears that Tyler Huntley will be the starting quarterback when they go to Pittsburgh on Sunday. We're going to break down that game and get a little more into what happened with the Ravens against the Denver Broncos. But first, I want to remind you that all Believe in the Ravens podcasts are sponsored by Bet Online, your fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-the-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league. Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, combat sports, tennis, MMA, even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, frontline in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today from your mobile device and join. Make your first bet. Use our promo code Believe50. That's B-L-E-A-V-5-0 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Daniel Wilcox, it is Steeler week. The Ravens will go to Pittsburgh. Steelers have won two in a row. But the big news in Baltimore, it appears that Tyler Huntley will be the starting quarterback for the Ravens this week against Pittsburgh. Lamar Jackson was injured at the end of the first quarter against the Denver Broncos. He left the game, was not able to return. He has not practiced this week. John Harbaugh, after the game on Sunday, had said it looked like it would be some number of days or weeks, is how he described the Jackson injury. He said it will not be a season-ending injury. And then on Monday, John Harbaugh said it was unlikely that Jackson would play this week, and then moving forward week to week, it would become increasingly likely. I think the strong expectation around here is that Lamar Jackson will not play at Pittsburgh and Tyler Huntley will be the starting quarterback. When we did this podcast last year, we've seen Tyler Huntley. Tyler Huntley, of course, this past week, they, the offense scuffled for much of the game, but in fairness to Tyler Huntley, it also scuffled with Lamar Jackson at quarterback in the first quarter. But Tyler Huntley led the Ravens on a 91-yard touchdown drive over the final five minutes. He scored the game-winning touchdown on a two-yard run, and the Ravens escape with a 10-9 win over the Denver Broncos. Tyler Huntley, this is an amazing, amazing statistic about Tyler Huntley. He's made four career starts, and let's just count this Broncos game in that one as well because he effectively played the final three quarters. In those five games, Tyler Huntley has played. And he's played mop-up duty or a couple snaps here or there. But in those five games where he's been the starter or this past game against Denver, four of them, four of them were decided in the final minute of the game and the other one against Pittsburgh went to overtime. So I think if Tyler Huntley is the quarterback, you can expect a close game with high drama. And that will probably be the case when the Ravens go to Pittsburgh because it tends to be that way every time they go to Pittsburgh. Every time. But Daniel Wilcox, let me ask you specifically about Tyler Huntley. You've seen him now. You saw him four starts last year. 
how what do you, what do you like about him, and how will this offense change, if at all, with him at quarterback? Well, I don't think the offense changed very much. I just think the, the scouting department in Baltimore, you know, just did a phenomenal job by finding Tyler Huntley, bringing him in, and having him be their backup guy. I think he's almost a direct reflection of Lamar Jackson. But sometimes, if you if you take the number two and the number eight off the jerseys, you can't tell them apart. Sometimes that's how crazy it is. Um, but he does such a phenomenal job. He's a guy that's a really good friend of Lamar's. Lamar's been playing with Tyler Huntley against Tyler Huntley since he was a kid, you know, back right. in Florida. They played against each other as high school players. So they've been on each other for a long time. You know, um, they both had great college careers and you now they're both on the same team in the NFL, you know, buddies from Florida playing together for the first time in their lives. And um, I think Lamar will do everything in his power to help Tyler Huntley prepare for the game. And Tyler will be ready. He's he's to me every time he's came in and played in a game, he seemed like he prepared like a starter. In order to be great in this league, Bo, that's exactly what you have to do. You have to prepare every single day like you're the starter. You never have a mindset that you're a backup. If you accept a backup mindset in this in this league, you will not be ready to play when it's your turn. And Tyler Huntley always seems like he's ready to play when he comes into the game. He's an example of what a pro should look like and should feel like. I love the fact that he comes in and plays well and he competes every single time he plays. And he plays at a high level. I think he's one of the best backups in the league. And I think he'll give us a legitimate chance to win. I don't think losing Lamar is that crazy of a door deal when you got a backup like Tyler Huntley. You, it's not like guys hanging their head down, oh, my God, this suck, sucky backup quarterback is coming in. You know that guy is a talented athlete and a talented quarterback as well. So I don't think guys hang their head. I just think, all right, let's keep it going. Let's get it going, guys. Let's, let's keep moving, you know. And he comes in to give you a little bit of a spark. Um, Lamar is just such a dynamic player. It's just hard to believe that you could have anybody else that could come in, in the game and back up the things that he does. And I think Tyler Huntley is a good fit for that. I really believe wholeheartedly that, um, you know, we'll still have a really high chance of winning this game with Tyler Huntley being our, our starting quarterback this week. Doesn't bother me at all. I'm looking forward to, to see the Ravens go play Pittsburgh and to see how this thing turns out. You mentioned that about Tyler Huntley. This is the interesting thing about Tyler Huntley. When we watch the Ravens in training camp practices, uh, or on the practice field for that matter, the, the quarterbacks have these jerseys that are black with dark purple numbers, and and they're often on a far field. And often... Now Lamar Jackson has like a red visor, so that's the, that, that you can tell the difference. But before that, you watch those two, and it was hard to tell which was which. And maybe a little more this year. looks like Jackson, as we know, put on 10 or 15 pounds this year. And I think Huntley now looks to be a little thinner uh, than Jackson. But you're so right. They look the same. Uh, they walk the same. And, and they play the same to an extent. And as John Harbaugh said to us on Monday, this, this is exactly why he's the backup quarterback. You want a quarterback that can come in and play the system just like you have. And so if your quarterback goes down, Huntley can come in. And so he is undrafted out of Utah. They found him. As you said, they did grow up together in Florida. They've known each other forever. They get along very well. And and hi, Tyler Huntley has not, you know, we said he's now started four games in the league, or started four games last year. The moment never looks too big for him. He looks comfortable going on the field. Mark Andrews said to me after the game Sunday, we're totally comfortable when Tyler Huntley comes in. We've had a lot of reps with Tyler Huntley. We have no hesitation right. about that. And Kevin Zeitler said, the playbook is all, is all open to us with Tyler Huntley. We never have to limit anything. Having said that, 
it appears that I think what we can expect with the Tyler Huntley offense is more shorter passes, more intermediate passes, and fewer deep passes. He threw, he tried two deeper passes on Sunday after he came in the game. He overthrew them. That's not his strength, but he is an elusive runner, and he can be dangerous as a running quarterback. So it's fascinating, and I, I said the most important thing for me when I watched Tyler Huntley is he seems poised. You see some backup quarterbacks come in who just look out of sorts, and I, I can't remember Tyler Huntley ever looking out of sorts when he comes into a game or when he starts a game. So I think he they'll be comfortable with him in there. And so I don't think that's going to be that much of an issue. One other interesting thing, and it has no bearing on whether Lamar Jackson would have played if he were healthy, but Lamar Jackson actually, his lowest quarterback rating against any team in his career is the Pittsburgh Steelers. He just hasn't played that well against Pittsburgh historically. But he is most likely not going to play, and it will be Tyler Huntley probably running this Ravens offense at Pittsburgh. That will be fascinating. We'll get more into the Steelers in just a minute, but Daniel Wilcox, I have to ask you something else that came up this week, and I'm fascinated about this. I want to call it kind of the anatomy of a play call. And in the second half of that game, the Ravens were not doing anything on offense. They finally got a drive started. They get into uh, Denver territory. They get to the 29-yard line. They're in field goal range, and then they try a double reverse Pass by James Prochet, the wide receiver that was intercepted in the end zone. Huntley Huntley gave it to Duvernay on reverse. Duvernay pitched it to Prochet. Prochet tries to throw to Kenyon Drake in the end zone, and the Broncos were all over it. They had four defenders in the area. Easy interception. Drives killed, and and the Broncos have the ball back. The play was universally universally panned um, that day and the next day, quite frankly. I'll say this. With the offense going nowhere... It was probably the middle of the third quarter. They are, they've done nothing. And we've seen them run that play in training camp. We've seen them run that play a little bit when we watch practice. It's not anything we're allowed to talk about, but we'd, I knew the play was there. And I happened to say to a guy sitting next to me in the press box, God, nothing's going today. This feels like the day they might pull out that James Prochet pass. And sure yeah. enough, they did. Now, they did it in field goal range, and they gave up potential points. Uh, But let's talk about this play call, because I'm fascinated to know your point of view as a player. Tell me about the process of a play call. It's called in the press box by offensive coordinator Greg Roman. He's the play caller, so he would have been the one to make that call. Does John Harbaugh hear that call in his headset, and can John Harbaugh say to Roman, basically, you're crazy, no way we're running that play right now. Can Tyler Huntley say, no, timeout, timeout, I hate that idea. Or is, is the full trust in the operation at that moment on the call the coordinator makes? How does that go from press box call by a coordinator to actual snap at the line of scrimmage? You know what, Bo, that's a great question. It, it can go a lot of different ways, you know, um, just like you were saying, this might be the day for that, that pro shape pass. Harbaugh could have said that on a headset. Hey, what do you think about running the pro shape pass play right now? Or, you know, Roman could be up in the box say, Hey, Harbs, I'm thinking about calling the, you know, the, the pro shape pass right here. What do you think about it? And, you know, and then and it's usually, yeah, yeah, man, go for it. You know, you know, you feel good about it, go for it, you know, or, or vice versa, you know what I'm saying? And it's it's usually communicated when you do trick plays and, you know, you go for it on fourth down. Those things are usually communicated. And sometimes it's premeditated. Like, you know, Har- Har- Harps could be like, hey, what do you think for the next play? You know, what do you think? Go- what, do you, what do you think about calling that play? 
you know, the Prochet pass play, you know, so it could go so many different ways in that headset. There's so many conversations going on. There's usually like an offensive line, a defensive line and a special teams line. And those guys are on those threads. The head coach has it. He has his box and he can flip his switch from offense, defense to special team to listen to everybody. But usually the offensive staff stays on their side. The defensive staff stay on their side. Every now and then they'll they'll interview each other. Um, I mean, they they may intervene and, and click over and just eavesdrop on other, you know, other sides of the ball from time to time. But usually it's an offensive side, a defensive side, a special team side, and they're all on three different channels. And um, when you're on those channels, you're up in the box. When you're going to make a play of that decision of that magnitude, sometimes the OC has a green light and he don't have to run it by the head coach at all. You know, but most of the time it's the head coach's team and he want to know before you make that call. Okay. So in the, in a call like that, in that situation, I would think that, you know, Greg would have been like, Hey, Harb, what do you think about the pro pass play right down here? And Harb's like, if you feel good about it, go for it. You know, he gave him the green light to call the play. He called the play. The only bad thing about him calling that play was that it was on a shorter field. And I think that's a big hitter type play. And it needed to be a check down situation. You know, like if, 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 if King and Drake's not open, then you saw you had Robertson in the middle of the field. He wasn't open either. They needed to be some kind of short check down on any kind of deep ball play like that. Prochet came and threw it like he was going to throw it to, um, like he was going to throw it to King and Drake no matter what, you know, and you have to be able to read a play like that when it's not open. You either got to tuck it and run it or you got to be able to take that ball and dump it down to somebody. But the last thing you want to do is throw an interception. The bad thing about it, I don't think Huntley has ever ran that play before. When you watch the play call and you watch the play develop, Duvernay Huntley almost run into each other. Um, King and Drake kind of came out and was like, you know, he didn't, his motion didn't look like he was trying to sell anything. And then when um, Duvernay started to go back across the formation, I don't know if Huntley snapped the ball too early, but they almost ran into each other when he handed the ball off the, to Duvernay, which also caused disruption, which also didn't look believable like they was going to actually try to run a reverse. And then when he, as soon as he got it, he dumped it to Pro Shake, like the timing was all wrong. You know, usually you got to take at least four or five steps to kind of sell the reverse going in one direction before you flip it to the other receiver and have it come back so that you can get people flowing in the direction that they don't think that they think the play is going. Um, and when it, it was the play just was poorly executed, you know, from a, a offensive standpoint, it just looked like a bunch of guys standing around. A bunch of guys didn't try to sell it really hard. Kenyon Drake motion didn't look good. Like he was trying to sell, like he was going deep or he was going to try to go block somebody. Um, nothing looked believable to me. And that's why it was so many guys down there that was in position to pick that ball off when Prochet threw it. And so I don't think Huntley's ever ran it. I think Lamar ran it every single time they've ever called it in practice. Huntley definitely didn't do his homework by studying. Like usually you almost mirror the play when you don't get a chance to run a play like that. But you don't think you're going to run that trick play with me if you never call it with me. And they, sometimes when you're up in that booth, you don't realize you've never given this guy a chance to run this play before. But he's so prepared, you're still thinking that he can run it. And I just don't think – I think the whole play was screwed from the beginning. And and I, I just – it might have been a good play call if Lamar was in the game and the right people was in the game in the backfield and the receivers and all that type of stuff. But in that particular situation, I don't think it was the right – five-man personnel that they had in to call that play at a crucial time. I definitely don't think you throw a pick when you're in field goal range. So, and, you know, putting the ball in Prochet's hands to do it, it was a great throw by Prochet. It was a beautiful ball. It was ball, a good throw. But it was a bad pass. You know, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> no, you're right. And 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 uh, you're totally right about the – I think everything about the play broke down, beginning with 
Duvernay and Huntley almost crashing into each other, which in point of fact would have ended up being better than what happened. And then I don't think Prochet sold, you know, Duvernay didn't sell it, Prochet didn't sell it. Drake didn't sell it, and so the Broncos were on it from the start. Um, I don't even feel like the offensive line sold it well enough. No, I don't think it's right. So I asked asked John Harbaugh on Monday about it. I said, look, I understand you want the element of surprise here, but what what went into the process of that play? And and he basically said, I said, what went wrong with it? He said, basically everything went wrong, just as you talked about all those things. And then he ultimately said, it just wasn't the right time for it. Um, it, was, it was just, it was it a was. finesse play and we were in the middle of grinding it out. We were moving the ball. It just wasn't the right time for it. I think on a play like that, I, you know, if you're at your own 40 and it's, you want to run it and, and it doesn't work and Prochet throws the same pass and it turns out to be effectively a punt. Okay. You tried it. It didn't work. But when you give up effectively, they were down six and they basically cost themselves a field goal. And then they're driving at the end of the game, and now they need a touchdown because they never got that field goal when they threw the double reverse pass. And so I thought that was a huge mistake to, to throw it at the time. As I said, I, it didn't surprise me they pulled that play out because I felt they needed to find something, anything that was going to work on offense, and they thought maybe that can work. But it's a good point that Huntley probably never did run it, and nothing about it looked right from the start. But I was very interesting to know, like, can you ever remember a coach – vetoing a call from a coordinator absolutely can you (laughs) absolutely would the coach call timeout because you don't have much time the play comes in with what 15 seconds before the yeah and that's when a coach called timeout in a heartbeat if he felt like you called something that he felt like was stupid like brian billick would let you know he'll rip you a new asshole he didn't care he would tell you straight up "What, what are you thinking we're not calling that right now you know Timeout. He'll call the timeout. He'll call the team up, and then he'll have the OC rethink his play call. You know, it's not the right time and stuff like that. But that's the difference, right, from having a special teams head coach and having an offensive head coach, right? Billick was an offensive head coach, so when the OC made calls, he knew every single play that the offense could call, what it was, strategically whether or not it made sense at this point in time in the game because he was an offensive player, you know, with an offensive, you know, offensive coordinator background, and Harbaugh is a special teams coach. You know, he's a special teams guy. So if it's a special teams call, he know, you know, that's a bad play. But well, offense and defense, you let your, you let those guys coach a little bit more if you, you know, if that's not really your field. Well, to your point, I, I don't know if Harbaugh was part of the decision making to make the call. I know the next day yeah. he said it was just a bad call. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, it could have been on him. It could have been on Roman, but it was clearly a bad call at a, at a bad time of the game. But so that I, I think, was, very- I think, I think you said something that was really key though, Bo, like you were sitting back and you was watching this and said, this might be a good day for that pro pass. Right. When you think stuff like that as a, as a reporter or even as a fan or even as a player sitting back watching this game, Guess who else is thinking that? <laughs> I'm thinking it's some defense. Denver coaches. Yeah, they sit over there thinking, like, bro, they ain't got nothing. Everything they ran, we've shut down. Their run game is not effective. Their pass game is not effective right now. Be ready for some kind of fake pass. Let the guys know. You know, and they, let, they, they tell those guys that exact same thing. Like, they're, like, when you think, when you're on the sideline thinking you're a genius, they got a genius over there thinking that they're a genius. They're getting paid to do those decisions. Yeah, That's right. You know, so, 
So yeah. it's like it's one of those things where I, I don't think it was the right call at the right time. And and I think when Harbaugh go back and look at it, especially being a special teams guy, I just took another ball away from Justin Tucker. Mm-hmm. And I can't allow that to happen no more. So it's definitely going to be some, you know, some changes in, in far as that standpoint. They're going to fix some of that stuff. To me, that's a play you call when your run game is going really well and they have to respect everybody that's running in every direction because you're killing them with jet sweeps or you're killing them with outside runs and now you got them flowing side to sideline. They're panicking. Then you call that and all of a sudden you throw it over their heads because they all running up for the outside runs. That's a you great know, and point. It just, yeah, it's just, it wasn't a good call in that standpoint or that situation or that time in the game or for this particular game. You know, it just wasn't a good call. You know, yeah. so I agree with Harbaugh. Very good points. Very good points. All right, Daniel Wilcox, let's turn our attention to Pittsburgh. It is Steeler week here, the first of two games against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You played in this game plenty of times. What's the vibe in the locker room during Steeler week? Um, that's a great question, Bo. Steeler week is one of those weeks where it's more of a – pride type thing is more of a rep my city type thing this is the this you put the 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 i put on for my city song by young g's and you play it all week long because you got to put on for the city of baltimore and pittsburgh's the same way they playing gz too you know put on for their city they got to put on you know for the city of pittsburgh you know and this to me this is one of the most well-rounded battles that you're going to see in the NFL. It's it was always a bloodbath game when we played them back in the day. I could always almost remember every single time we played them. The first play of the game, somebody got carted off on the stretcher for getting knocked out. Like that's how we wanted to, we wanted to set the tempo that we were going to hit you harder than you was going to hit us when we played Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh wanted to set the tempo that they was going to hit us harder than we was going to hit them when they played the Ravens. And this is one of those games, man, that you 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 always remember. You know, my last game as a Baltimore Raven was against, guess who? The Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm-hmm. AFC Championship game in 2008. We lost in Pittsburgh, and I was sick to my stomach. Didn't even know it was going to be my last game. But I remember walking off that field with my head down, thinking like, bro, we just lost the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, and we just lost in the AFC Championship in Pittsburgh. You know, Palomalu pick one off, return to some old crazy interception returns, zigzagging all across the daggone field against us. And it just, it was a sickening, disheartening feeling. You know, James Harrison was, every time they needed a big play, James Harrison came up with something. And, you know, Troy Palomalu did something crazy or something special. I remember Ray Lewis breaking Mendenhall's collarbone one game. We played him because he was talking crap before the week. Like, you know, he's going to run all over us and stuff. And Ray Lewis like, all right, we're going to show him. And then he hit the kid so hard, he broke his freaking collarbone. He's done for the years. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of those games, man. I remember Willis McGahee getting knocked out in that game, the AFC Championship game. They got hit. I remember Ed Reed getting hurt by Hines Ward one game. We played him. He hurt his neck, and Ed had to play with that neck injury for the next seven, eight years of his career. You know, like that's how crazy it was. And he never got over that neck injury and still got problems with it to this day. You know, so it was one of those games where you know it's going to be a hard-hitting game. And you just didn't want to be the victim of the guy that got hit the hardest. And you wanted to be the guy that was, if anything, you wanted to give that blow. Um, you knew you was going to come out of this game with some kind of injuries. With definitely with some bumps and bruises and some nicks and some some swollen parts of your body with knots and some over your body, your legs, your shins, your forearms, your forehead. You don't know, but you knew you was going to come out of this thing with something. You'd be lucky to come out of it with just one or two stitches. You know, so nowadays we play flag football, so it's not as crazy. They're going to throw a penalty for everything. So you get kicked out of the game for some of those hits we had to take back in the day. But that is true. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's not as, as as brutal of a game, but this is still going to be the hardest hitting game you're going to probably see, you know, from, from this year on. You know, like this, you almost measure games 
physicality like Baltimore Ravens Pittsburgh. This but it's like a Ravens Pittsburgh game. It's so physical. Mm-hmm. You know, you measure other games based off that. When other teams come and they out physical us, I'm like, man, they played against us. Like they was Pittsburgh. You, you said know? that. I remember you said that right. again about some team earlier this year. Said they they right. played us like the Steelers. I think it was the Dolphins, bro. Because yeah. they came out and said they thugged us out like they was the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't yep. come in. Like they weren't afraid of us. We weren't afraid of them. And Pittsburgh has always been our biggest challenge, man. It's something about the Steel City and Charm City mm-hmm. that don't like each other. And there's a mutual love-hate relationship between the two. We hate the terrible towel. We don't want to see that thing anymore. It's the stupidest towel in the world. You know, but it, it, there's something. There's a lot of respect between these two teams and these two organizations. Both head coaches I've, I've played with or played for. Um, and it's just a, it's a it's a it's an awesome man. It's an awesome match to me. This is what NFL football is about: Ravens versus Steelers. You know, this to me, this is always a prime time game. You never know what's going to happen. Most of the time, it's a close fought game, and it's going to come down to the end of the game against these two teams. And and respectfully so, they've usually had the top one, two, three, four, five defense in the league almost yep. every single time they faced each other. You know, that's how important defense is to both of these organizations. And almost every time, and again in this game, there's usually playoff implications involved when the teams play. I mean, one or, one or the other, and often both, are, are mm-hmm. competing or leading and fighting for playoff spots. And so it's all, there's always importance attached to Real this stable. game. Remember at, at, at um, Heinz Field, I still have, now it's Akershire Stadium, but at Heinz that? Field last year, <laughs> Remember, that was the day that uh, the Ravens, Marlon Humphrey got hurt, and the Ravens, John Harbaugh said, they were out of cornerbacks. They didn't want to go to overtime, so they tried a two-point play to Mark Andrews. It didn't work, and the Ravens lost by one. It was a crazy game there last year. We expect more of the same this year. And as you said, John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin have coached each other against each other forever. And Mike Tomlin was asked earlier this week about facing the Ravens, and there is mutual respect between the two. And he said, hey, his quote was, Baltimore is a, quote, great dance partner. And I think it's true. I, I love Mike Tomlin, actually. And, <laughs> I do, too. But he, uh, he you know, it's, such a, it's a terrific rivalry. And I think for the past 20 years, it's been one of, if not the best rivalry in all of football. As I said, they've, they've played with playoff implications on the line almost every time they've played. So it figures to be a, a, just a terrific game. You know, the Steelers, they have a rookie quarterback, right? Kenny Pickett has taken over as a starting quarterback. And so that's an interesting challenge for this Ravens team. But if I'm not mistaken, I did a little bit of quick research. My belief is that John Harbaugh in his career against rookie quarterbacks is 19 and six. He generally has made life miserable on rookie quarterbacks. Um, now the, the Steelers have won two in a row. So they think they're starting to figure things out. And to me, I think one of the key guys in this game is going to be Pat Firemuth, their tight end, because we saw the Broncos tight ends have success against the Ravens. We've seen team after team after team have success with tight ends against the Ravens. And so the Ravens are going to have to figure out how to cover the tight end. The running game is starting to get going a little bit, but I think the tight end Firemouth is going to be one of the keys in this whole game. But let's talk a lot of, you know, last week the Ravens struggled against a Broncos run defense that really wasn't expected to be all that much. And after trading away Chubb, there was concern about the Denver pass rush and the Denver pass rush got home often against the Ravens and Tyler Huntley. He was running for his life. And of course, Lamar Jackson got hurt on a sack. This is a team that has a much more imposing pass rush. And you have Tyler Huntley now at quarterback. I will say it appears the Ravens should have Ronnie Stanley back this week. He practiced fully. He's missed the last two games and he was playing at a high level before he re-injured his ankle. 
So if Stanley comes back, that obviously is a huge, huge plus for this Ravens offensive line. But when you're the Ravens, if you are Greg Roman up there today and you're trying to scheme up your offense with a backup quarterback against this Steelers defense, what are the best what 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 are the best strategies for trying to counter that kind of really really good pass rush that they have? You run right past them, you know. You run the ball right past them, and you have to find ways to 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 disrupt the pass rush. Right, um, as much as they're going to try to disrupt your your passing, you have to find ways to disrupt their rush. You know, so you got to throw their timing off. You know, so you you find out who likes to put his hand in the dirt and comes off the ball fiery fast and you bring him back to that side and you chip that guy off the edge and put him right back on the tackle because he's going to try to beat the tackle to the outside. The tackle knows that he got help coming from the outside so he can set hard inside and, and protect his inside hard and still get depth. And then you bring a back or a tight end over and let him chip the outside edge of that defensive end to disrupt the timing. Every time you chip him, he has to stop his feet. He has to get restart. You know, restart it and try to get back to the quarterback again. And you're putting that guy back onto your offensive tackle so that now he has a better way to grab him and hold on to that guy so he doesn't be able to escape. Um, you have to do things, disrupt them by changing your snap count. You know, you can't be repetitive on your snap count. You can't snap the ball on one every single time. These guys get into a rhythm just like everybody else. So good pass rushers play the rhythm of your snap count. So if you go on one every single time and you don't switch it up and put it on two or three or or first sound or you know um or silent count from time to time, they'll start to jump your snap count. And when they jump your snap count, that's when you see them get that great jump off the ball. Mm-hmm. And by the time the, the tackle come out of his stance, they already buy them. You can't allow that to happen this week. You know you have to do things to disrupt that timing, and, um, bringing backs and and tight ends to chip double teaming them by having the tackle the tackle jump outside hard and the guard comes over right now to help and assist on that guy is a great way to just try to, you know, really take it away. And then you run the ball, you run the ball away from the pressure. You know, if the pressure is coming from my right, I run the ball to my left. And then I use the quarterback to kind of get in the way to try to just try to disrupt that guy so he can't get to the running back in time or chase him down from the backside. Um, and then the RPOs, of course, would be great. You know, so when you got guys that rush the quarterback hard, most of the time they're going to key on a, on a QB on an RPO and they're going to stay to his upfield shoulder and they're going to keep him on his inside shoulder from the return from the, um, the rusher. And, um, the back gets a free release right where, right where that guy came from. You know, so you have to do those type of things to really disrupt them and, and slow down their timing and, and their pressure. I would think in, in, uh, Ravens practices this week, they're going to have the music cranked up as loud as it can be when they're on the practice field because they want to simulate the noise. It is, I I imagine they'll do a lot of silent counts because they're going to be dealing with, you know, these full throated Steeler fans. It is not going to be very quiet in that stadium for Tyler Huntley or Lamar Jackson if he plays, but basically Tyler Huntley and that offense to try to operate. So that that's going to be fascinating to see how they can do it. I think the Ravens need to, at some point early in that game, Tyler Huntley just needs to step back and let one rip for Deshaun Jackson because yeah. they cannot afford to have the First Steelers cram, cram up there with nine guys at the line of scrimmage. The Ravens did not run the ball well against Denver. Gus Edwards looked a little tentative. Kenyon Drake, they just had a hard time getting the running backs going. And if, if, that, if, if they don't respect Tyler Huntley's ability to throw the ball deep, there's, they're going to put 10 guys up the line of scrimmage and dare them. But I think they just have to take a couple shots downfield. Even if they don't work, that's going to have to back a safety or two off uh, once or twice, you know, spread a little bit. 
and give that running game a chance. So I would expect to see them take a deep shot to Deshaun Jackson or Devin DuVernay very early in that game. Deshaun Jackson was just added to the 53-man roster, which we kind of saw coming. He was a practice squad elevation three straight weeks or three weeks, and that's the maximum you're allowed to elevate someone from the practice squad. So now he's been added to the 53-man roster, so he will be there on Sunday. And I think I think getting a deep shot to him early will be something the Ravens will try to do just to keep that defense honest. And the key, of course, is you got to give Jack, you got to give Huntley enough time for Jackson to get downfield to throw the deep shot. If he's getting bombarded after half a second, then he can't even get the ball off, and, and Jackson can't get deep. But I think that will be something the Ravens will definitely try to do. All right, Steelers and Ravens, it's going to be a good one. Uh, Daniel Wilcox prediction time. We're going to Pittsburgh. So I know nice. you're terrible at this. Give me a final score. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> I've been, you know, really thinking the Ravens had to turn this thing around both for the last three, four weeks, and I've been giving the Ravens 35 points and the other teams like 14, 17 points. But I really feel like this is going to be another close game and a hard game for the Ravens to pull off and win. Uh, it is the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they are not playing at their best right now. You know, Ben Roethlisberger's exit was obviously a devastating loss for them. But I really feel like they're going to bring the A game against Baltimore. They always do. You know, so I feel like this is going to be a very close game. I'm going to say the game is going to be around 20, I'm going to say 18 to 20 uh, Baltimore or eight, 17 to 21 Baltimore win. So 17, 18-ish on Pittsburgh, 20, 21-ish. Baltimore, and I'm going issues now. Um, <laughs> You're not going with that exact. All right, yeah, fair I'm enough. Issues now. Issues is like my new thing when it comes <laughs> to predictions. Okay, so from now on out, you're going to get issues. <laughs> fair enough. Both. We talked about Harbaugh against rookie quarterbacks. Kenny Pickett. He, he's he's thrown four touchdowns and eight interceptions, but he hasn't thrown an interception in four games. So he seems to be kind of figuring out. But I think this Ravens defense is going to make it tough on Kenny Pickett. They make it tough on all rookie quarterbacks. I think this Ravens offense is going to struggle. Um, I just think they haven't they they haven't figured things out completely. And Tyler Huntley in there, I think he'll compete. But I think it is going to be an old fashioned December AFC North slog. Is what I think is going to happen. I'm going to predict Ravens 16, Steelers 13, and I'll say it's going to be an overtime. These teams play plenty of overtime games, and like I always say, if you're going to go to overtime, give me Justin Tucker. So I expect, I fully expect a game in the teens. I think offense is going to be hard to come by, but in yeah. a close game like this, I like the Ravens 16 to 13 in overtime, and it would be a big win because they've got to they've got to stay ahead of the Cincinnati Bengals, who are surging. They're tied for first now, but they need to stay ahead of them. The schedule has been tougher for Cincinnati, and they keep winning, so the Ravens have no choice but to keep winning if they want to hold on to this thing. So I've got the Steelers 16, the Ravens 16, the Steelers 13. You've got the Ravens 21-ish, the Steelers 17-18-ish. Fair enough. And we will see what happens at Akershire Stadium, which will always be Heinz Field to me, on Sunday in Pittsburgh. We'll be back Monday to break down Steeler Week and see what happened with that game. And then the Ravens go on the road again next Saturday at Cleveland in another big game that's in an AFC North battle. And we will know later whether Lamar Jackson will be on the field for that one. But it will be Steelers and Ravens from Pittsburgh on Sunday. For former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smoka on the Believe in the Ravens podcast presented by Online.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.